Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So, Psalm 35. Contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and armor. Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to me, I am your salvation. May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Since they hid their net for me without cause and without cause dug a pit for me, may ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. My whole being will exclaim, who is like you, Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. Ruthless, Ruthless witnesses come forward. They question me on things I know nothing about. They repay me evil for good and leave me like one bereaved. Yet when they were ill, I put sap cloth and humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my brother, my friend or my brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. But when I stumbled, they gathered in glee, assailants gathered against me without my knowledge. They slandered me without ceasing. Like the ungodly they maliciously mocked, they gnashed their teeth at me. How long, Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their ravages my precious life from these lions. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. Among the throngs, I will praise you. Do not let those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. Do not let those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. They do not speak peaceably, but devise false accusations against those who live quietly in the land. They sneer at me and say, aha, aha, with their own eyes we have seen it. Lord, you've seen this. Do not be silent. Do not be far from me, Lord. Awake and rise to my defense. Contend for me, my God and Lord. Vindicate me in your righteousness, Lord my God. Do not let them gloat over me. Do not let them think, aha, just what we wanted, or say we have swallowed him up. May all who gloat over my distress be put to shame and confusion. May all who exalt themselves over me be clothed with shame and disgrace. May those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say, the Lord be exalted, who delights in the well-being of his servant. My tongue will proclaim your righteousness, your praises all day long. Um, I'm just going to pray for Mafi before he comes to preach. Um, Lord, I just thank you so much for this uh, Sunday. I thank you for um, the privilege it is to gather as your church, Lord. Um, I thank you for Vinny's baptism. And I just pray um, that you would bless the teaching of your word to us today, Lord. Would you just speak through Mafi? And would you help us not only to hear your word, Lord, but just to listen and really respond in our hearts. Pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Emily. Uh, do you ever find yourselves struggling to pray if, if you are a praying person? Um, maybe not too sure how to frame it. Maybe afraid of saying the wrong thing. Or worried that God or, or even, in fact, others might not look favorably upon you. What would happen if you really told God how you're really feeling or what you're really thinking? ever found yourself praying the same words over and over again without really opening up to God? 
You know, in, in moments like these, we can lean heavily on the Psalms. We can take these words given to us by God and we can pray them back to God. So for the next five weeks at CCC, we're going to be diving into five different Psalms and we're going to consider what it looks like to pray real prayers in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. So these Psalms can be used to process our feelings. We've got 150 of them recorded in the Bible. Many of them are written by David, often in times of difficulty, often in times of trouble. And these Psalms served as a means to help the psalmist process what was going on, how he or they were, were feeling, and then taking it directly to God. So while the Psalms can serve as a, as a way to process what's going on, they're also written or spoken or recited, they're sung as acts of authentic worship. And so various different types of psalms are psalms of lament, psalms of praise, there's, there's psalms of hope and anticipation for the future. And what we have are these psalmists engaging with their deepest desires, their deepest needs, and holding nothing back before God. And there's something really beautiful about how raw these words are, which, which actually reveal a, a real depth of maturity in their relationship to their God. And this is our hope, this is my hope, that as we engage with the Psalms this summer, as we begin to pray real prayers, that we will be moved to engage God with our whole being. So what, what's the context then to Psalm 35? So it was written by David, uh, first of all. Second, David was facing uh, unjust treatment from those who once were his friends, from professed friends. And the whole central idea around the Psalm is, is that David has been treated badly by these professed friends. In their time of trouble, whenever they were in trouble, David had shown them nothing but kindness. Uh, to those he had been a friend, he'd been a brother, um, but now they've turned against him. And it's an imprecatory psalm. So what does that mean? It means praying for the judgment of God's enemies. So let me say th quickly three things about imprecatory psalms. It's a word we rarely use. Uh, a pastor and theologian, Sam Storms, has so helpfully shared these. They haven't come for me. First of all, they are not um, a, a emotionally uncontrolled outbursts, but rather they're crafted and calculated petitions. They're the product of divine inspiration. They're not prayers of, uh, of personal vengeance, secondly. Notice that they're not prayers of personal vengeance, but rather they're prayers of divine justice. And then thirdly, they are human prayers, but they are based upon divine promises. So simply, the psalmist is asking God to do what he has already promised to do. So with that being said, let, let us jump into the psalm. And let us consider how we are to pray whenever we're treated unjustly. I want to provide two teaching points and I want three short applications. So how are we to pray uh, whenever we're treated unjustly? Well, we're, we're to petition God for his rescue. You know, since this series is called Real Prayers, let's get real together as a congregation for a moment. How many of us petition God for his rescue whenever we're treated unjustly? Not many of us, a couple of hands, a few hands, yeah, it makes sense. But often going to God can be an afterthought. Often we're getting our phones out straight away. Immediately we're getting on, phone, on the phone. Somebody needs to be told. I've been treated unjustly. Somebody needs to hear about this. And you know, it's easy to take the huff. It's easy to give the silent treatment. It's easy to get cynical. Or worse yet, it's easy to retaliate uh, or to treat like for like. And that's only the first day after something happens. And you know, even though the main message of this psalm is, is all about God's rescue, that's not what most of this psalm is given to you notice most of the airtime in this, in this psalm 
is given to David asking God to judge his enemies. And he mentions his enemies an awful lot. David has enemies who unjustly hate him. And he wants God to intervene. He wants God to bring judgment upon them. And, and the really painful part of this psalm is that these were once his friends. These were those that he once shared his life with. But David needs God's rescue. The enemies were unjust enemies. And the, and the psalmist makes this really, really clear. It's going to come up on the screen, these four verses. Verse 7, Since they hid their net for me, from me without cause, and without cause dug a pit for me. Verse 12, They repay me evil for good and leave me like one bereaved. Wow. Verse 19, Do not let those gloat over me who are my enemies. And you see them words again? Without cause. Do not let those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. They do not speak peaceably, but devise false accusations. So the issue here is, is not that David has enemies who are antagonistic. The problem with these enemies in Psalm 35 is that the enemies were unjust and they were wrong to have antagonism for David. And let me say, being opposed by people is fairly normal. And this is a reality check. You're not going to please everybody and you're certainly not going to be liked by everybody. And that's okay. But the issue here is this unjust antagonism. And that's what, why, why David is, is so emboldened to pray against them. His, his vindication is required. David needs to be rescued. So how, how are we to pray whenever we're treated unjustly? Well, we're to petition God for his rescue. But how's that done? It's done by praying specifically. Look at how specific David is as he prays. If you've got a Bible open in front of you, look at verse 1. He comes straight out of the gate, straight out of the blocks in verse 1. He's not beginning with, dear Lord, thank you for the day we've just had, for the weather, and for this, that, and the other. He jumps straight into it. He says, contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. David's asking God to contend with those who contend with him. God, make your enemies those who have made themselves my enemies. And, it, and David's evoking this, this image of a warrior. Like, it's like God is armed with a spear in one hand and a javelin in the other, and God is rising up for battle. And David is repeating these imprecatory petitions. Verse 4, he's saying, put them to shame. Later in verse 4, he says, let them be turned back in dismay. Verse 5, let them be like chaff before the wind. In other words, let them be driven away. Let their way be dark and slippery. Let them fall into the nets that they have set. Verse 8. Later on in verse 8, let them be ruined. You know, David doesn't leave us guessing about what he wants God to do. He prays specifically. And he's going to go on in verses 11 to 16, and he gives God both barrels. He's making sure that God knows exactly what's going on. David's pleading his case, and he's aggrieved by how he's been treated. Because whenever the shoe was on the other foot... David showed himself to be a faithful friend. He mourned for his friends when they were in trouble. He looked out for them. And now the shoe's on the other foot and he's hurting. You know, in moments like these, it's really, really easy to give God the cold shoulder. God, why should I talk to you whenever I've been so unfairly treated? I can't even plead my innocence. And, and the thing is, I went above and beyond for them, but then it all got kicked back in my face. If that's how you're feeling, I want you to tell God that. I want you to bring that to God. I don't want you just to think that or maybe to share it with somebody else. Let's bring that to God. Let's keep the lines of communication open. Have it out with God. And you know, we're in great company because believe it or not, God is more aggrieved than we are about injustice. 
And you know, God is familiar with injustice himself. You know, David doesn't give God the cold shoulder. Instead, he cries out and lament. David's been repaid evil for good. Whenever these so-called friends were in trouble, he mourned for them, he was concerned for them. But the moment that David struggles and stumbles, they're found to be on the other side. They're actually glad for his downfall. They're mocking him, they're scorning him. And David lays it all out before God. And, and he asks God straight up, look at verse 17. How long, Lord, will you look on? How long, Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their ravages, my precious life from these lions. And you know, it, it looks like it's nearly like God's not interested or else he's busy with something else and his eye is far from the situation. But David is desperate and David makes sure that God knows it. You know, how we speak with one another is, is usually a good indicator of the level of depth of relationship that we have with them. With those who are closest to us, we can be brutally honest as we love them and as we trust them deeply. And this is the case here. David's able to pour out his sorrow. He's able to pour out his anger and his frustration because he was a man after God's own heart. David's able to be transparent and vulnerable before God because he knows just how much he is loved by God, just how cherished he is by God. And David is familiar with all of God's ways. But yet the petitions don't stop. They don't stop here in 17. He specifically lays it all out before God and he firmly places a ball in God's court. Look with me at verse 22. He says, Lord, you have seen this. Don't be silent. Do not be far from me, Lord. Or 23, awake, rise to my defense. Contend for me, my God and Lord. And 24, kind of a, a summary verse of, the, of the, the psalm. Vindicate me, God. In other words, rescue me. Don't let them gloat over me any longer. Verse 26, may they be put to shame and confusion. Clothe them with shame and disgrace. Church, if we're going to pray real prayers, then we're called in moments when we're treated unjustly to petition God for his rescue by praying specific prayers. And then secondly, not only just this, but secondly, we're to commit ourselves to God's rescue. Have you ever had moments whenever you've asked or whenever, sorry, someone has asked you to do something for you and you've just gone on ahead and done it anyway. And I often tell Emma that whenever she asks me to do something that I'm going to go ahead and do it. It's going to get done and I don't need a reminder every six months. And, and this is the very same here in, in some respects. David has been praying to God to vindicate him. He's saying, God, I want you to vindicate me. Come to my rescue. And David's getting a lot of pain, getting a lot of hurt off his chest. But fair play to him. David commits himself to God. He commits himself to God's will and God's ways. You know, we're often tempted in moments of conflict, moments of tension or hurt, to run straight to others to air our grievances, to complain about how we've been treated. And it is good to talk to people, absolutely. But then we're tempted to go on ahead and fix it ourselves. But do you notice here that David's primary concern is of God's vindication of him? Even if it doesn't come in the, in the time frame or in the manner that David would like. Even if David has to endure God's delays, which is part of the basis of the psalm, David never doubts that this day will come. Do you see that? David never doubts the outcome of the process. As painful as it is in the present for David, he commits himself to God. With every plea, he looks on forward towards that moment whenever God's deliverance would come. David commits himself to God's grace 
And this is how he does it. He does it by praying expectantly. He prays expectantly. There's three verses throughout this, this 28 verse psalm. Whenever David speaks in the future tense about what he will do, and each of these come after his petitions. So there's three sets of petitions where David's really given it the big one at God. And then at the end of these petitions, you've got these three wonderful verses. Verse nine, you see this, then, then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. And then he goes off on it again. And then verse 18, I will give you thanks in the great assembly. Among the throngs, I will praise you. In verse 28, my tongue will proclaim your righteousness, your praises all day long. Do you see this future tense? You know, David isn't asking here to be allowed to get even or even just to pay back his enemies. His prayer is that God would act justly in dealing with those who have sinned against David. And look at where David's gaze is. These three verses give us such an indicator where David's gaze is. David's gaze isn't upon his enemies, but it's upon God. Look where David's delight is found. It's not in the destruction of his enemies, but it's in God's justice. There's a vast difference between vindication and vindictiveness. And David's passion was for the triumph of divine justice, not the satisfaction of personal malice. You know, often our hearts aren't in the right place. And whenever we're faced with any form of injustice, we can be quick to become embittered and, as Jess prayed earlier, victimized, cynical, and, and, you know, God must work in our hearts to remind us that it will be him that will bring the rescue. He's a divine judge. And David is really confident in this. He's full of faith. He's confident that God will rescue his own. Therefore, he can pray expectantly. So David knows that he can hang on because he's got God on his side. And, you know, as David pens this psalm, he would be an image and a forerunner of the true and final faithful servant who was unjustly treated. All the Old Testament points towards him. And this is who Psalm 35 is really about. He was the one who had enemies rise up against him. The one who had enemies attempt to lay snares for him. He had malicious witnesses devise falsehoods against him. And these guys repaid him evil for the good that he'd shown them. And the thing is, they weren't even faraway enemies, but they were close to him. They were people for whom he wept. But they rejoiced at his stumbling. They were people for whom he loved and who served, and yet they betrayed him. They were enemies who conspired against him. They mocked him, they reviled him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They spat on him, and he did not deserve it. These enemies hated him without cause. Who is the ultimate faithful servant who was hated without cause? Why, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. If you want to get a glimpse of what it looks like to pray real prayers, like the one in Psalm 35 and how we can respond to it, let's take a look at the life of Jesus. How did Jesus pray whenever he was treated unjustly? You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in, in prayer, Jesus petitions God for his rescue. But yet he surrendered his will to God's. On the cross at Calvary, in prayer, Jesus cried out using Psalm 22, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I want to tell you this, Jesus was forsaken so that you and I didn't have to be. On the cross, Jesus was the one God didn't rescue, so God could rescue us. God's justice did come, 
Sin has been fully and finally atoned for at the cross. It was paid in full by God's Son on that cross. So our sin has been borne in full by the sinless one. God's justice has been fully and finally satisfied and we, who are followers of Jesus, get to go free. Christ City Church, whenever we're treated unjustly, each of us can remember that we've already been vindicated by Christ through his death and his resurrection on the cross. And that should give us a hope and a freedom as we absorb and live in the tension of the injustices of this world while we wait for the world to come. You know, in the upper room the night that Jesus was betrayed, he prays a prayer in John 17 to his father. And, 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 and he says this, if the world hated you, and, and I paraphrase this, if the world hated you and take comfort, it hated me first. He's saying, you know what, I'm, I'm being rejected by the world and you can be sure that you're going to be rejected by the world as well. But you can take comfort because we are accepted by Christ. You know, we live in this tension in the, in the now and not yet. The kingdom of God is here. We are followers of Jesus. And we have been vindicated, but yet we, we, we still live in a broken world, brokenness, as, as Vinnie was saying. That, you know, there are injustices, there are hurts, there are pains, there are illnesses, there are things that frustrate us and there are things that, that God has not yet righted. And we live in this tension and we long for the world to come. And so as I bring Psalm 35 to a close, I want to give us three short applications to help us ground these truths in our, in our practices. You know, firstly, as, sorry, as we petition God for his rescue and as we commit ourselves to God's rescue, let us get real with God. Let us get real with God. He's big enough to receive it. If you want to endure in faith, and we've heard about Vinnie being one foot in and one foot out, if you want to have both feet in, if you want to endure in faith, then you're going to need to learn to wrestle with God through real prayer. And that's my call to you, Vinnie. Wrestle with God through real prayer. Maybe it's time for us to begin to unlearn some of the churchy language uh, that, that, that we've got and begin to share with God our, our real thoughts and feelings, not just the ones that you think God wants to hear. You know, at a football tournament in Santry recently, a lad who knew that I pastored a church came up and they asked me, Maffy, is it okay to tell God that you're paid off with him? Or is that a bad thing and, and sh should I avoid it? I said to him, absolutely, it's okay. God wants to hear from you and he's certainly he's big enough to take it. There's nothing on the table between you and God. There's nothing on, off the table. He would rather your raw authenticity. And even if that raw authenticity raises a few eyebrows in the church, he would rather that raw authenticity than for you to withhold yourself from him. So firstly, may we get real with God in our prayers. Secondly, may we hold up a mirror. 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 <laughs> we too have perpetrated injustice. You know, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be many years after this psalm was penned that David committed a series of gross injustices against one of his closest friends, one of his mighty men, Uriah. David would sleep with and impregnate Uriah's wife. He would plot and he would instruct Uriah's imminent death. And if that wasn't bad enough, he would try to cover it up. He would try to hide it. And church, I want to tell you that you and I are no less susceptible to causing injustice as David was. And even if it's not to the same degree as adultery and murder. And so as we pray for God's rescue to come whenever we face injustice, whenever we face trial and difficulty, we can use these moments to check our own lives, to check our own hearts, 
and then come to God in repentance for the injustice that we can and we have perpetrated toward the lives of others. And then finally, thirdly, let's circle back in faith. Even if we're slow to get there, this is a pattern of almost all the Psalms of lament and it can be difficult to get right. This is one that I, that I struggle with at times. So in lament, we submit ourselves to God, but it doesn't brush the thoughts and the feelings that we have under the carpet, nor does it make our thoughts and feelings ultimate. But instead, we can be wrong, we can be authentic to God, and then we can submit ourselves to him. Often with me, whenever I'm struggling or going through a trial, and I come to God in prayer, I come and I tell God how great he is, and, and I say all the right things, and then I just hope that I get better. And the reality is what I'm, what I'm doing is not really lamenting. I'm actually brushing it under the carpet. I'm hiding away from it. What God is saying, Matthew, I want you to slow down. I want you to tell me exactly what you're thinking. I want, I want you to tell me how you're feeling. I want you to have it out with me. And after you have it out with me, then I want you to come and submit yourself to my ways. Sometimes we're too slow in getting there. I'm too fast in getting there. The pattern of lament is that we share with God exactly what we're thinking, how we're feeling, and then we circle back in faith. Listen, if you're able, will you stand with me? It's my prayer that in all these next five weeks, whether you're visiting this one week or whether you're going to be here for all five, that our prayers become raw and they become authentic and we begin to speak to God in the same way that he would have us speak to him, in the same way that these psalmists are, so listen, would you close your eyes as I pray and then we're going to respond with one song before we finish. Father, I thank you for these words that are penned by David. And I thank you that we can use these words to be, to be raw and to be authentic toward you. And Father, I pray that you, would, that you would help us pray specifically into the needs and into the areas of our lives in which we struggle or, or we, we, we stress about or we lament. And so, Father, as we pray specifically, I pray that you would help give us faith and help us pray expectantly, trusting in your vindication once and for all. And so as we go out this week and as we see injustice around us, I pray that, that we, we, would, we would lift our voices to you, that we would hold nothing back before you, that there would be nothing off the table. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.